You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Sydney Carter, who is the author of the new romantic comedy, Best Men. It is honestly a perfect summer read. I am actually just finishing up, finishing it up right now. I'm really, really loving it. It is a classic boy meets boy where one of the boys is the man of honor in a wedding and the other one is the best man and they have a awkward encounter before they officially become part of this wedding party and they have to work together to make things happen in the the wedding itself while also having their own like will they won't they enemies to lovers slash friends it's just so well written. And the reason it is so well written is that Sydney, today's guest, is a screenwriter and a comedy writer by trade. And in this discussion, we talk about his origins in comedy. Uh, and we take a nerdy little sketch comedy, improv comedy deep dive into his background. And this is something that I actually happen to be passionate about as well. And it comes through, I'm sure, in the conversation where we discuss different things like uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade and Second City and Saturday Night Live and just a whole host of these little pockets of comedy where some of the biggest names you know in comedy all come from before they become the biggest names in comedy. Just a lovely conversation. I think you're truly going to adore it. And I think you're going to love his book, Best Men, as well. Again, it's a perfect summer romantic comedy. Uh, and if you're looking for another book recommendation along those same lines, uh, it is June. It is Pride Month. I'm going to be offering up as many Pride-related book recommendations as I can throughout the month and beyond, of course. And another one that I just read recently is Is It Hot in Here by Zach Zimmerman. And this ties together because Zach is also a comedy writer and comedian. And this is a book that is a collection of essays and lists and musings all about his New York-based comedy life. Um, it's really, really funny. It talks about different things like his experiences with his very, very meat-eating Southern family and how it was like coming out to them and all of these different things about um, religion and Tinder dates gone horribly wrong and, and all sorts of just really funny, quick uh memoiric essays. Uh, if you're a fan of like David Sedaris, I think you will really, really love Is It Hot in Here by Zach Zimmerman. And as always, you can reach out to me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. I say this every week, but I love hearing your passions, the things that you guys are crazy interested in. I was just reading a couple of those emails over the weekend. And as always, I, at the beginning of every month, send a random bookshop.org gift card to one of the people who sends me one of those emails. Um, and I haven't asked in a few weeks, but if you have a moment, if you could leave me a five-star review or a rating, wherever you listen to your podcast, it helps people find me just a little bit more easily. And last things last, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram, Passions and Prologues. That's where I'm doing book recommendations and just bookish thoughts all over the place. So, okay, that is all the housekeeping. I'm not going to keep you here anymore. I am so excited for you all to hear this conversation with Sydney Carger. Offer, author of the now available Best Men on Passions and Prologues.
Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Okay, Sydney, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? Okay, so I'm super passionate about oral surgery. Oh, this is, I love, okay, this might I'm be the kidding, most I'm niche kidding, thing. I'm <laughs> I was like, I guess we'll go with it. <laughs> I, I wish. No, um, I, I'm going to say comedy. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can play in that space a little bit more easily, I think. That's the real answer. So for people who may not know, you are, in addition to being an author, and we will get to your book in just a little bit, but you're also a screenwriter. So um, let's do what lots of comedy podcasts do and like start from the beginning. Like, What was your first introduction to the world of comedy and kind of what, what route was it? Was it stand-up? Was it sketch? Was it TV shows? Like, what, Where did you discover this? Yeah, so I feel like I, it's a passion of mine just because it sort of permeated every aspect of every point of my life and it's something I love and it's something I seek out and it's something I'm constantly, you know, doing in my work and outside of my work. So I, I guess it kind of comes from, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I was in the Northern suburbs and I was sort of in the, my parents would take us to the city if we, you know, every once in a while for like a, a, an urban outing because we were in this and so every once in a while, I would have like our special Sunday in the city, and we would always end up in a neighborhood called Old Town. And Old Town is in the shadow of Second City. And we would always walk by Second City, and my parents would talk about it. And by the way, my parents were also super funny. And they, like my dad was always telling like elaborate jokes that he could never remember and would butcher. And my mom was doing impressions, which I didn't realize at the time, like she's sort of an impressionist. But as I kind of grew up and was able to find it, I'm like, she's an impression, like she does (laughs) imitates people. And my and I'm the last I'm the baby of five, uh, four older older siblings. And so Mm -hmm. I was grown up with like adult humor. And, (laughs) you know, my next sibling is like almost 10 years older than me. So it was all very sort of adult and and I was trying to, you know, and they all have great sense of humor. And so I kind of learned from the best. But then just growing up in the shadow of Second City, I eventually when I became older, and I think it was in high school, I, they, my parents finally took me there. And it was this magical wonderland. And, And live theater was the same way for me too. just being in, I think I saw like, the Wiz when I was a kid, that was like the first musical theater as a kid. And so it just, and I remember being in Second City and one of the people, it was improv. It was an, it was actually, there was, it was partly improv, but it was also scripted. Um, like 
night of scripted and then they were doing improv and like they called on my mom at one point and they said she looked like Olympia Dukakis. <laughs> it, was just, it just, we died laughing and it was like, this just a great way to connect with my parents and my family. And so I would then sort of beg them to take me there all the time when I couldn't drive. And then when I, you know, went to college, we would go there with my friends, yeah. hang out at Second City. And I was obsessed growing up with all things comedy. I, I love this so much. I So I'm also a very big comedy nerd. I love listening to like, podcasts and interviews with people who either came from Second City or obviously like older Saturday, Saturday Night Live. Um, you know, writers and, and actors are all the rage now. There's a bunch of different shows like, like Fly on the Wall with David Spade and Dana Carvey. There's all these different very popular shows where these people are talking about these things. But I have always found myself being so deeply blown away by improv comedy, especially like any version of comedy I think is incredible. Like you were talking about, it's, I think it's a very unique skill that can be learned, but a lot of it is innate in making other people laugh. But when I watch people like um, Ben Schwartz, I think is the fastest person I've ever heard. He just, every conversation he has, he seems to just, it's like he knows what is coming and it's, it's not, it's improv. So like that for me, I love stand up. I love sketch, but improv is the thing that if it's done well to me is always the most impressive. And so, you know, what was it for you about going to Second City and like, experiencing these shows that kind of had you catch the bug, I suppose? Yeah, I think it was sort of the, it's weird because I'm not a team player. <laughs> I'm, not, like, <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not into team sports. Like I like tennis and skiing, like those are my, and swimming. Those are my solo sports. So I'm, I, I can't say it's like the group thing, but I guess I love, I was the same way. Like I love, I was brought, drawn to uh, improv and sketch and I love stand-up comedy, but I never, I guess I was always sort of like a wannabe performer in a way. And I felt like when you're in an improv group, which I eventually did, you can kind of get lost and sort of hide behind your fellow people mm -hmm. you can kind of come out and like land a joke and, and kill but like when I saw stand-up comic I, like I would watch stand-up comedy and I would worship any kind of stand-up on tv and and back then it felt like there were more um like Friday night stand-up comedy shows um mm -hmm. just seeing them on stage I could never do that because you're alone and it's super personal and you're talking about your demons and making it funny we're like sketch and improv you can kind of like hide behind characters and impressions and make up worlds. And, and I started doing improv in Chicago, um, like training. Um, there was a, a, there still is a theater called the Annoyance Theater. Mm -hmm. And it was like an offshoot of Second City. And I just think I just graduated college and it was like the cool version of Second City. And I'm like, I'm going to do the underground version. And it was people from Second City who started it, like Mick Napier and all these greats. And um, I did it for a while, but it, it was again sort of like I was more of a writer than a performer. I wanted to perform, but I was such a shy kid and so reserved that like every time I had to go on stage, I just would, it would eat me up and I would like have so much anxiety and I couldn't get through it. But like it was fun because when you would, actually when I could actually finally get on stage and like do something funny and then hear the laughter that was like the thing that kind of kept me going but the stage fright eventually was my downfall 
it, it won it won over eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so how did this joy of comedy and passion for it, like you said, kind of this love of taking these classes and being a part of it, how did it go from an interest to a career for you? Yeah, so I mean, I guess, well, also, like, I was obsessed growing up, like every kid with Saturday Night, a lot of kids, like with Saturday Night Live. And weirdly, my grandmother lived in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And so, or whatever, I guess it was closer to Canada, and we were able to see SCTV, which is like Eugene Levy and Catherine oh, I remember like sitting in front of a glowing television in the dark at like 10 o'clock at night when I was a kid watching this, this stuff and like soaking it up. And I soaked up Saturday Night Live and it was always sort of a dream to get there. And I also, in the suburbs where I'm from, I was um, obsessed with movies and John Hughes was shooting all of his, had shot all of his movies where I'm from and mm-hmm. Breakfast Club, 16 Candles. And it was like, oh, my friends, you know, that was where my, the party scene that this girl I went to high school with was shot. It's like <laughs> watching them, you're like, oh, that's where the, you know, the Porsche dealership is or whatever it is. And um, so I, I was obsessed with those. And I, I knew from an early age that I wanted to be, because I could not stand on stage and be exposed to people, I'm like, get me behind the scenes, I'll be a writer. And so I kind of knew I wanted to write in some capacity you know, from an early age, and I, I ended up, I kind of was trying to emulate John Hughes's tra- trajectory, and he started out as an advertising copywriter. Mm-hmm. And he worked at, I think, Leo Burnett in Chicago. So, and then he became a filmmaker, and I was like, okay, I'll follow that. It was like, film sc- even though there was, you know, film schools and stuff like that, it just didn't seem like you could go to film school and then become a filmmaker. It just felt like you, know, you go to film school and I don't know anyone who did that, so I couldn't figure that out. So I ended up like sort of going into advertising as a major in college, weirdly knowing what I wanted to do, like advertising and stepping stone to Hollywood. And then when I graduated, I got jobs working as a copywriter in Chicago. And I was doing the improv thing and, and writing screenplays. And then I moved to New York with a job as a copywriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was right around the time when Upright Citizens Brigade Theater had started and Amy Fuller with um, the other three guys started this theater. So I started doing that. And I was so that was kind of fulfilling my comedy need while I was an advertising copywriter. And then I was writing like short films and directing them. And I took sort of all my experience. And I was there was one sort of there was sort of like two goals living in New York. One was Comedy Central and Saturday Night Live. And like Comedy Central at the time had like Jon Stewart Daily Show and South Park. And so it was like the pinnacle of comedy to me. And it was like, it had the word comedy in it. So I'm like, (laughs) that's where I need to go. (laughs) And I eventually sort of took my experience and was able to get a job. Um, I'm making it seem way easier than it was. <laughs> no, I, but I, I love what you're saying. First off, like you have now, I feel like you have hit like my pantheon of the things that I, like my comedy, like you mentioned SCTV, Upright Citizens Brigade, like literally the people that I adore, like John Candy, Rick Moranis, like Matt Walsh, you've named like literally all these different, Amy Fuller, um, like Nick Offerman, all these different places where all of my comedy heroes have come from. You have now named every single one of them, but, um, 
I'm wondering if you can, because you, you were just jokingly saying like, you're making it sound like it was it's easy and obviously it's not, but something that I have always found interesting about comedy and writing in general, really as, as an aspiring author myself, like I think the thing that I love about writing, whether it's comedy or literary fiction or romance, or whatever it is, like there's no one stopping you from putting pen to paper, I guess, you know, fingers to keyboard at this point and, and trying to create something. And so you mentioned it wasn't easy, but I'm curious, so like from an inside baseball standpoint, because I'm, like I said, a comedy nerd, I'm a writing nerd. What was the process like for you to, to go from, you know, having a copywriting job to, was it like submitting packets? Or I guess, what was the process like for you to get in front of, like you said, Saturday Night Live and Comedy Central and, and these titans of comedy? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned the greats because I didn't realize like in those high school and college years I had, we were seeing the greats perform and it, it, it dawned on me years later, I was like, oh my God, that was Chris Farley who took off his pants. I was going to, I didn't want to, not to cut you up. when you mentioned, I was like, okay, I could fall down a rabbit hole where I just spent 20 <laughs> minutes asking Sydney which which second city people he saw. But please, if you want to do a list, I would love that. Well, I mean, there, there, it was Chris Farley, which I couldn't believe. I think I caught the tail end of, or he was like a special guest or something. And, um, and then when Tina Fey got on Saturday Night Live um, Weekend Update, I was like, oh my God, that's the woman we, we, I would see her because I, I recognized her face. And then Rachel Dratch was like the star of every show we went to. She would just kill every show at every show and it was just like and but you kind of don't know who they are until later and yeah and Amy Poehler of course when she started UCB I remember she got when she got the Saturday Night Live job and everybody was sort of like oh, she's moving on and it was like sort of a pivot in UCB and so there were and then it became I kind of again I remember going to lunch with a couple guys who became sort of semi-famous and like we were getting a bagel and I was like, you guys want to be writers, right? And they're like, no, we want to be on Saturday Night Live and performing. And I was like, I'm, I think I'm in the wrong track. Because like, I was the only one at the time. Like, I think after I left, it became this sort of breeding ground for writer, performer, you know, multi-hyphenates who did everything. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't have that track when I was there, it just, it formed later with like the Bobby Moynihan's and, um, Kristen Shaw's and, and things yeah. like that. But, um, so for me, I just had, a, I kind of, so I was still sort of figuring it out at the time where I was like, I need to figure out how to submit to the Colbert Report. I think I, you know, and, and, um, and then I found out I, cause, because I stopped doing improv, I wasn't in the pool of people who knew everybody and was sort of like auditioning and doing writing packs. So I never really knew when those were coming down the pike. And I was in my Comedy Central bubble. Um, but I did find out how, you know, and of course, at the same time, I was equally passionate about screenwriting and I was writing scripts and I ended up, um, I was writing spec scripts of mm -hmm you know, movies that were original ideas. And I ended up getting a manager, film manager based on a screenplay. And that got me an agent. And um, it, the script ended up on the blacklist, which is like Hollywood's most liked screenplays of the year. Yeah. Kind of thing. 
And so I was, then I kind of got a little more into the bloodstream of things because I'd stopped doing the improv and I was, I was getting sort of, um, stuff sent to me through my agents that I would be, but I found out that there was this, it used to be called like the fax list on the right, uh, Saturday night live where you're submitting jokes every week for a weekend update. And it became with email, like, I guess the email list, I don't know. Yeah. It, it could have been just me or a hundred people who were doing this, but like, <laughs> Because it was all very, I was off-site, and while I was at Comedy Central, I you had to audition to get the Weekend Update joke writing freelance, mm -hmm. um, and I was able to do that. And then, I so I did that for three seasons while I was at Comedy Central, while I was writing my own screenplays on the side. So I kind of had a, a taste of what you know I, I wanted when I was a kid, which was great. And then the screenwriting kind of took off in a way that I couldn't avoid and kind of wanted to give my attention to. Um, again, it was the comedy of, you know, of like that had been sort of with me in, in my DNA from the early ages, like followed me into screenwriting too. So that, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to like, I want to nerdly deep dive into comedy with you the whole time, but I want to be also respectful of your time. So like, how, how does that transition from, you know, like, like you said, screenwriting is a very different process from writing a novel and it's writing a novel is obviously much different from submitting, you know, like one liners for weekend update and things like that. So, you know, what was that transition like for you going from a screenwriter and focusing on, you know, that style of writing and then transitioning into, you know, what made you want to write a novel with your, your new book as we're recording this after the book came out, Best Men, like, how did that transition come up to you? How did you decide, you know, I, I think I want to take a look at this avenue of writing now? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it on a graph, it makes complete sense. Like, because <laughs> while I was at Comedy Central, you know, I was writing and directing for other shows. So like, you know, Amy Schumer and Sarah Silverman and uh, Broad City, I'd write you know, pro every all the writers that would write promos, which are these giant productions. People sometimes don't realize we they would do like huge productions to promote the show with the talent. So I was always constantly writing in the voice of like a Sarah Silverman, which I felt like I could confidently do. Just take mm -hmm. your sort of impersonation skills and put them into whatever talent you're writing for. And along the way, I was developing my own voice. And that's, you know, when the, the first screenplay kind of was getting a little bit of traction, I was able to, like, okay, I think this is my voice. It's not, like, broad, you know, super um, broad comedy, but it's a little more maybe dramedy. And I kind of went back. Like, and also being at Comedy Central three years, I stopped watching comedy. <laughs> like it was you know because I had to watch it for work I would like you know you just don't have the brain power to watch even more mm -hmm. um and I would I would want to watch like the darkest most disturbing documentary <laughs> like the complete opposite while I was at Comedy Central but so and I was also trying to channel it into my own work so I kind of tried to find my voice in the screenwriting world and I was able to you know become a working screenwriter and left Comedy Central and was able to sort of sell screenplays and option them. And there are multiple things in development now, but it's, I've taken a pause because of the writer's strike. Um, but then during that time, you know, I didn't really, I haven't mentioned this, but I, when I was a kid, I'd always wanted to write a book. And I 
I wrote like a choose your own adventure book when I was 12. Amazing. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. And it was like fan fiction. And so it was, that was another thing, just any kind of writing I, I've wanted to do my whole life. So I never really expressed it. And I was always like, I'll probably have to be 75 by the time I get to writing a book because I'm so focused on screenwriting. And, and out of nowhere, my film manager asked if I wanted to write a book, even though I hadn't really expressed that to him. And that's why, you know, having reps art is great because they kind of pull these things out of you and, and they, they see you for whatever potential you might have. (laughs) And I was like, yes, of course I want to write a book. And so I was introduced to my now book agent and, um, I had through the years ideas that I kind of pitched and formulated and put together. And then I was able to pitch and sell Best Men, which is the book that just came out. Yeah. So can you introduce my listeners to Best Men and kind of where the idea came from and all that good stuff? Sure. So it's a romantic comedy. And so there is a a comedy in it, which um, again, I wanted to do. And it's about uh, a guy named Max Moody and he's a gay guy living in New York. He's about to turn 35 and he's kind of like a hopeless romantic, but doesn't want to admit it. And he kind of covets that little paragraph in the New York Times that announces you're getting married. And so he's thrown for a loop when his best friend announces she's getting married before him and wants him to be the man of honor in her wedding party. And so he's kind of quietly spins out of control because he thought he'd get married first. And then he meets the best man of the groom, um, whose name is Chasen and Max and Chasen are kind of polar opposites. And they like Max is introverted and Midwestern and Chasen is New Englandy, very social, outgoing, and they can't stand each other at first. And then they kind of like try to tolerate each other for the sake of the wedding. And then it's sort of a will they or won't they get together romantic comedy. Um, and yeah, it came out like a month ago. Um, yeah. So how did it feel like once you, like you said, you kind of, you knew you always wanted to do this um, and you're, you kind know, of your representatives sort of, like you said, almost saw it. In, I love that you were saying like, I kind of saw it in you before you saw it and you're like, hey, you should do this. Um, you know, what was the experience like though, writing in this style where like for people who might not be aware, like screenplays or like screenwriting is very different from the layout of a book and the things that you say versus show and then all these things like, how did that process feel for you getting to like stretch out these characters and kind of build these relationships in a different way? It was amazing because I had, whenever I had sort of sat down through the years to kind of quote unquote work on my book, like whatever that was, I, w- I would start typing and I'd be like, Oh, this, this is going to take years. And <laughs> like, I don't have time between comedy central and screenwriting and like, I just never would make that block of time to write. And and screenwriting is very um, sort of economical compared to writing a novel. You know, if you have to make sure you're hitting the right beats structurally in, in a screenplay on certain pages, sort of. Um, and, you, you know, you know, you kind of know where you're going within 110 pages. And usually, unless you're having a voiceover, it's sort of the omniscient voiceover that's very cold and like, you know, Andy walked down the street and Andy walking down the street, you know, whatever it is. So it's very different. When I started writing the novel, I just was like completely liberated 
and felt like my hands were just going typing without my brain. Yeah. And it was it was a totally different muscle because you have so much more room for your canvas for the characters and the story. And, you know, I luckily had the sort of screenwriting structure foundation built in to what I was doing. So I knew, you know, again, the goalposts I needed to hit. But within that, I was able to have much more fun with character development and description and just and being inside the character's head too was a joy. Yeah. Is this something that you plan on continuing moving forward or are you like you know, I know you mentioned the writer strikes so and sure you might have a little bit of time to work on your own stuff now, but who knows and you know how long that's gonna last. But is is novel writing something that you plan on pursuing moving forward as well? Yeah, I love it. I am actually in the middle of um, edits on my second book, uh, which will come out next year. And I paused the screenwriting stuff because of the strike, but I have, you know, I have all these things sort of in development that I kind of hopefully the strike will end soon and I can get back to. So I love to juggle mm-hmm. both screenwriting and novels. Yeah. I, one last question about the writing process, like for you is that juggling, obviously writing is a, a very unique skill, but do you find yourself like needing to dedicate like large blocks of time for like novel writing versus screenwriting? Or are you able to kind of, I don't want to say multitask, but basically are you able to kind of multitask different projects like that? I, yeah, you kind of have to be able to do that because I'm working with, you know, producers on the screenwriting side and then my editor and the publishing house uh, on the book side. So it's sort of luckily thing when you have a bunch of projects, if you're lucky to have them, then, and you're also lucky then to have them be in certain different stages of development, then you can kind of, so it's not like you're writing the block of the screenplay and the block of the book. Hopefully it matches up. So it's sort of like, you're revising the screenplay and then you're starting the book or, you know, you're starting the screenplay or revising the book. So it's sort of once I always kind of say that, like when I finished the first book, I immediately wanted the sort of like cleansing sorbet of writing a screenplay. (laughs) And so, and then when I finished a new screenplay, I'm like, I want to get back to a book. And it's kind of fun to juggle those different parts of your brain that you're using. And it's hard and you, I don't, I think you, the blocks of time, I used to be able to sort of like, oh, I'm going to write in a cafe and it's going to be romantic and cool. And like, I can't, I need dead silence. Nobody around. I'll walk the dog, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just need that sort of like space and time for both of them. You kind of need the space and I need the space and time. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Um, okay. Last question for you. I always end every conversation by having the author who's come on, give a recommendation. It can be of any kind. It can be a book. It can be a movie. I've had people say like, go for a walk. I've had people recommend certain like recipes for pies. So what is just something you want to recommend that you think more people should know about? I got to get those pie recipes. Um, I will stick with the comedy theme. And people were talking about it when they came out, a TV show called Jury Duty. And I feel like everybody talked about it immediately and then it, then we binged it and now no one's talking about it. So I'm going to push that out into the world again. And it's on freebie. It's sort of a mockumentary uh, hybrid. It's scripted, but it's, I don't want to give it away, but it's not scripted. And it, 
as James Marston is the star of it. And then, um, then the comedy writers who created are all like amazing and have done a lot of great things. It's high. I binged it and couldn't stop. It's incredible. I watched the first episode last night. Weirdly, it would be, I, it's so good. And it's also, if you are a comedy nerd, it is a who's who of like character actors. It would be like, oh my God, that person's from Parks and Rec. Oh my, like it's, you will love it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Perfect. That's it's hard to talk about without spoiling it, but it's a must see. Yeah, I highly, highly agree. This was so much fun. Sydney, the book is so wonderful. And I, I loved this conversation. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. That was super fun. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.